Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Garden Better, the podcast from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. I'm Adam Woodhams. And I'm Jenny Dillon. We're both horticulturalists and in each episode we'll be dishing the dirt on all things gardening, guiding you through the season and taking a look at what's hot and what's not, and how you can keep things thriving in your own little patch of paradise. So what do we have in this episode, Adam? Well, Jen, we have got everything you need to know about taking care of your winter lawn and lawn mowing. And we indulge in some garden myth-busting, blowing away some of those furfies that you hear out there on the interwebs. Brilliant. And then when it comes down to lawns, I thought, why take our advice? Let's get an expert on. So we have Lisa Walton from Victor talking to us all about how to mow your lawn at this time of year. And don't forget, Milton Black will be here to give us his tips for gardening by the moon. You're listening to Garden Better from Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Lawns, winter... They're generally two things that we like to keep in separate sentences because they don't mix well, do they? They don't mix well. Winter's a bad time for lawns. Well, it's not really a bad time, but it's kind of exposes all the flaws that you might have in your lawn. Yeah, it it does. It it's it's like you're seeing it in that dark light of winter, and suddenly everything that's gone wrong is like a neon light. It is. It is. Yeah, Yeah, I did that this morning. Actually, looked around. Oh well, you know my my single best tip for a decent winter lawn is in fact one that's of no help whatsoever at this point of time because it's something you should have done a couple of months ago and that's basically to have fertilised your lawn yes. because it it gives the lawn the extra energy to be able to survive through those those harsh conditions. Well, see, part of the harsh conditions is the fact that you know with the sun so low in the sky, so many lawns just aren't getting the sun they need, and well, that's the most important thing for a lawn. That's it. That's the that's the reduced sun light and that, that those cut down hours. So it is, that's a really good point. And it's a great time to be evaluating how light is falling on your lawn because it might be that you've got some shrubs have started to overgrow the lawn. It might be you've got an overhanging tree branch mm-hmm. you hadn't noticed before. So, you know, balance up what's more important to you, whether whether you want to lift the canopy of this tree or whether you're happy for the lawn to be sacrificed a little bit. But you need to look at the reality of that and, yes. and see if you can remedy it through through some basic maintenance to to help that light fall. Because at the end of the day, sunlight is what plants convert into energy and the energy is what then gives them the strength to survive through the harsh conditions. Yep. So if you haven't fed them, well, you're looking at the – you can still do a feed now, Oh, you can. Absolutely, yeah. You can still feed in winter and you need to find one of those winter strength formulas or use a regular formula at half strength, so yep. just, just a normal summertime formulation. But I, I can't recommend highly enough – Get away from the old school fertilizers and look at the modern fertilizers that are genuine slow release because mm. that way you're getting those nutrients released over a longer period of time and you're revo- removing the possibility of um, environmental issues of runoff of excess nutrients. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's I'm from the country and I know all about that. It's a horrible thing when you see mm. streams and rivers contaminated like that. But also, I mean, depending on where you are, if you're getting a lot of rain in the winter time. 
if you've got a, um, a heavy soil, then you're going to get a lot of compaction, especially in areas where there's a lot of traffic, like with kids outside playing footy or whatever. So it's a good idea to aerate. Yeah, well, that, that's where it often, often those problem spots will show up because, you know, like we were saying before, it's like you're shining a spotlight onto it. Suddenly mm. you can see the compacted spots because the grass will be more likely to brown off there than it will be in mm. the other areas. So compaction is a fantastic idea and can be done as simply as using a garden fork. Um, but do avoid doing it if the soil is too wet because yes. you, you can end up creating more problems more. Than, yeah. than, you're, than you're actually solving. The big one to watch is weeds. And uh, this is because we forget about the fact that most weeds are annuals. And of course, there's cold season annuals just as well as there are warm season annuals. And are we talking about winter grass? Well, winter grass is one of the classics, but winter grass is so easy. Come on, it sits there like a fluorescent green. I know. If you don't pull it out foliage. as soon as you see it, <laughs> then you're in trouble the next year. Do you know our last house? I could always tell when the winter grass was coming up because the cockatoos would be down on the lawn. Oh, really? Because they they love the seeds off the winter grass. They're probably the things that spread it. I was just going to they're say chewing the seeds yeah. off it. But most of the winter lawn, uh, winter weeds in your lawn are very conspicuous because your lawn is looking a pretty flat colour. Yes, and these weeds do tend to stand out as being very happy and healthy. So a lot of them, like winter grass, for example, it is actually easy enough to remove by hand. You can mm. get a, a daisy grubber and, and pull them out. Or there's fantastic stand-up devices where you, you basically – put this weed extractor, it looks like a medieval torture device, but you put it around the weed and press down and pull out and it pulls the whole weed out of the ground. But this is actually your last chance to prevent the summer lawn hop. Ah. If you've had Bindi in your lawn before, it yes. will be back again and it's making growth now and it's about to flower. And it's those flowers that turn into those horrible, horrible prickly lilies, little yes. seeds. So, yeah. and you can look, you can use chemical treatments if you wish, but pull them out now. Realistically, so yes. Yeah, they are obvious. They stand out like the proverbial in the middle of the lawn. They are these bright green rosettes of. Really little pretty flat. little flowers. They, they are actually well, not flowers. Yeah, they're leaf, yeah, leafy but, things but they are they are actually quite an attractive little thing because yeah. it's this nice rosette of leaves mm-hmm. and it's a bright green color. It almost looks like a, a salad vegetable or something. Yeah, it does. But that is actually the way you can find them easily and pull them out. So you do need to have a look at at doing what you can to keep on top of those weeds because the apart from the prickles, the bigger weeds will start to smother your grass and mm. and your grass is already struggling with reduced sunlight and then you get the weeds over the top and then those weeds die back and lo and behold, come spring, you got bear patches. Mm -hmm. That's one of the main causes of them. Now, if it's been dry, you might still need to water. We forget about how dry it can get in some regions during winter. So Mm -hmm. do keep an eye on that, but don't go too hard with the, the watering. And mowing. You do still need to mow. Yes. And in fact, I recommend that one of the easiest ways to tidy your lawn up and make sure it's getting lots of light during winter is to lift the mower right up and run it over the lawn and use it like a vacuum cleaner. And it lifts up all those twigs and leaves and things. And the lawn might not even need a trim, but you're getting all the detritus off the yeah. top of it. So you're actually maximizing the amount of sunlight that's going through. And uh, switching away from mulch mowing too because you can end up with fungal problems thanks to that the, the tiny little micro clippings from the mulch. I reckon we need some winter mowing tips. I think we need to call in the experts. Who have you got? I have got Lisa Walton from Victor on the line. Excellent. Hello, Lisa. Thank you for joining us. Now, it's not the time most people think about their lawns. So is it really something they need to be doing? Look, it really... Um 
I suppose from a, from a lawn perspective, it doesn't actually look like they're doing a whole lot, but they are still growing. Um, it just happens very, very slowly. So we call it a dormant stage, but it's really like a deep sleep. So you still do need to focus on your lawns, but just not as often as you would in the summer months. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm sure people have noticed that themselves. You know, In summer, when things are warm and humid and, and wet, they're out there every fortnight mowing their lawns. And a lot of the time over winter, it's really only every month, isn't it? Or even every six weeks. Exactly, exactly. Now, would you reckon, particularly at this time of year, it doesn't matter too much during the during the warmer months, but at this time of year, do you reckon there is a better time of day that people should be mowing? Look, it's a question we get asked a lot, and it's really one of those, one of those old age questions, and I suppose we would really recommend to wait until the lawn is dry, so if there's any frost or dew or anything on the lawn, make sure that that's actually um, obviously dry from those those different elements but also you don't want to wait too late in the day um, because what happens is in the cool weather with the metabolism slowing down in the grass it takes longer for the grass blades to heal and seal um, and what we really want is to make sure that that can happen during the daylight hours so Make sure it's dry, not too late in the day, and you should still get um, a perfect lawn. Yeah, I know from a horticultural perspective that if if you have that damp lawn and the the, the wounds from the the mowing, that that's the like an open door for fungal problems. So yes, that's that's very good advice. Now, mowing height, I reckon this is one of the classics. There's there's so many people have different advice on the mower it should be lifted and it's almost like a square dance. You know, it's in and out and it's up and down and it's it's, it's backwards and forwards. What do you reckon is going to be the best setting that people should use for their mower? Look, I think a lot of it obviously um, is on personal preference, but what we would recommend is there's no need to set it too high or too low. I think the most important part is just to keep it at the same height all the time. Um, but what you do want to make sure that's really critical is to have a good amount of leaf blade on the grass as that, what's, um, that actually creates the energy for your grass to grow. And it also gives the lawn a lot of protection in the cold and insulates your grass as well. So you want to just make sure that you've got that. You know, don't cut it too low so you do have that leaf blade. Um, another thing that we think is really important in the winter months is to go back to using a catcher. So don't use that mulching function that you may have. And that's because, you know, when you've got that mulching function on, some of those micro clippings um, take too long to break down and that can cause a fungal problem in your grass. So go back to the catching and go back to the catcher and you should be fine. Yeah, that's a great tip. Thank you for that. Thank you. And look, one of my faves, uh, this is honestly, this is almost like a Holden Ford thing, isn't it? Edge before you mow or mow before you edge? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful question and we get lots of different um, feedback on this one all the time. But really, I think, I think it's a logic again and it's one of those things where, you know, if you edge before you mow, then you'll have less work to do as the mow, the mow vacuums up all the clippings. And from that perspective, it means less time out on the lawn and more time to enjoy your lawn once you're done. So for me, it's about edging before you mow. Well, we certainly agree on that one because that's I, <laughs> I'm always a firm edger before I mow. <laughs> now we've got so many different climate zones around the country that you know, in general, Aussie lawns and conditions are they that different from overseas? Yeah, we are very different, and also it does depend on where you are in the country as well. You know, obviously we're such a large country that it can go all the way from tropical really down to alpine, depending on where you are. Um, and it means it's really important to get the right mower. Um, and you know, I think it's good to talk to your dealer or your retailer to help you understand what your particular needs are. Um, and there's some real big differences around the country um, with conditions, but. M- 
one of the things we see a lot from Australian conditions is there's a lot of dust. And some of our native trees have really, really hard woods, and it means that those twigs and branches on the lawn can be really heavy going for a mower. So some of the things we recommend is, you know, we have some mowers with an alloy chassis, which is a really extra hard chassis that actually makes sure that any of those twigs and branches don't don't actually dent or break if you've got a plastic chassis. So that's designed specifically for the harshest conditions. We also have durable plastic catches that stops projectiles and dust from being flung up, you know, out of the mower. Um, it could potentially hit you and cause a little bit of damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and lastly, you know, we have some wheel designs that's really designed with high quality ball bearings, you know, for the toughest conditions. So once again, speak to your retailer or your dealer to find out, you know, what works for you and your condition. Yeah. And that, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? Making sure that you're buying, you, you don't take this one size fits all approach that, that you talk to a specialist that understands about mowers and, and local conditions and that they can help you find the right mower for your, your absolute purposes. Now, one thing I'm seeing a lot more of is there's some really cool battery gear out there and it seems to me that this stuff can even chew up big size lawns not just the you know it used to be thought of that they were just for little pocket handkerchief lawns in in courtyards but they seem to be able to handle some pretty big lawns now where would you actually draw the line about the the size that a battery mower is going to cover for for mowing Look, it really depends, and you know, as we discussed before, it really depends on getting the right product for the right job. So, some of the questions that we would ask, and some things to think about, is you know, the size of your lawn is certainly one consideration, but the grass type, the length of your grass, things like that also also make a difference. So, you know, as an example, you know, a petrol mower is really really great because it's got a higher output of power, and it can really handle those tougher conditions. So if you have long, wet, thick grass like a buffalo grass, that's when a, a petrol mower really does a wonderful job. Mm. But you, know, you, look at, you look at some of those battery mowers um, and you know we are seeing longer run times, much better output and really overall improved performance. So they can certainly handle some of those you know, medium-sized uh, lawns as well. I think once again, what we're seeing currently in the market for larger spaces, so a quarter of an acre to an acre, it's really petrol at the moment. But for some of those smaller suburban spaces, you know, where it's just about maintaining, battery is definitely the way to go. But it's changing all the time, so it's about really getting the right product for the right job. Yeah, I, I have to say, one of the things I love about battery is the the fact that it's just you pick it up and it's on. You know, there's no messing around with fuel containers and all that sort of thing. I think it's great. Now, innovations in mowers and mowing. What can we expect to find uh, in the, in the next sort of the, on the horizon with uh, Victor? Yeah, there's a couple of things that we've um, got in the market at the moment that's really out there to help make your life easier when you're out there to mow. Um, you know, one of the one of the ones I've got out there at the moment is the self-propelled mower, and that's really about taking the hard work away from pushing your mower through some of that heavy, thick grass. Um, and we're starting to see that in starting to see that come through in the battery mowers as well. So basically, it helps you push your mower, and it takes away that energy that you need to use um, to push the mower. Yeah. The other one is really so the other one is about push button start technology and that's and that's you know when you think about you know having to pull that cord to start it's always been a dreaded a dreaded um starting or starting point for for some for some people you know and what we've got is we've got a push button start where all it is is still a petrol mower and you push a button and it starts with a push of a button so it takes some of that makes it really easy and takes the hardship away from 
from starting a petrol mower. Mm, mm, no, that's fantastic. I, I, I know that the uh, self-propelled used to be a, a feature of only the commercial-style mowers, so it's great to see that making it across into the, the local market. Now, have you got a couple of quick tips for anyone if they're looking to buy a mower at the moment? Yeah, I think the things to, things to think through is, you know, what size is your yard? So whether it's small or large will probably, or even medium will depend on what works for you. What's your grass type, um, the cutting time you're required, and, you know, once again, budget. So if you've got more to spend or less to spend, that's some of the considerations. Um, other things to think through, is it a flat piece of lawn? Have you got some, you know, slopes? Is it long stretches? So really just looking through all those things. Um, but most importantly, I think my recommendation would be, Go to your favourite retailer or your favourite dealer, you know, and ask them some questions. You're not any obligation to buy and they can certainly help you point you in the right direction of what the best mower is for you and for your needs. Well, Lisa Walton, Product Specialist from Victor Lawn Mowers, thank you very much. That's some great advice. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thanks, Adam. Hi, this is Peter Cahoon, the architect on Better Homes and Gardens TV show, and we've got a new podcast series. It's called Better Ideas, covering everything you need to know about the home. Give it a listen better ideas. Well, gardening has been around since, I don't know, pretty much forever. And the wisdom attached to gardening is one of those things that gets handed down. And traditionally, it used to come down very much like the way cooking does. It was you handed from your parents, which came from your grandparents, which came from your great-grandparents. And you learned how to garden out in the garden with your parents or your grandparents. And But things have kind of changed these days, haven't they? That well, of course, you know, a lot of the tips that we get from um, our parents or grandparents, they've come from different countries from what we live in now. Yes, well, that's very so true. So they're not appropriate for our... And they say that there is, in fact, a lost generation of gardeners these days, that, yes. that basically the, the last generation didn't hand that knowledge on and that many people don't have that experience, so they're learning from scratch and they're turning to the interwebs to find out about gardening. And that can be a wee bit complex when they start looking for information there. They're getting the wrong stuff. They're getting the wrong stuff. They're getting all these people that believe they're experts that may not be experts, but also not being aware of the fact that the advice for America or for Europe may not particularly be applicable to what happens here in Australia with our very, very different climate Mm -hmm. and also different soils, which is an important thing. So. This has ended up with the situation of what I call factoids. It's, it's where you have you have an actual fact, something that I, as a gardener and a horticulturalist, know is a fact. But then somebody just hears one part of it, and then they turn that one part into, into the, the fact. The so it becomes part, a, yeah. this factoid, and often we end up with these weird and wonderful garden myths. So I thought we could have a look at some of these older school garden myths and see are they true or not. We'll do a bit of Garden myth busting. All right, let's go to it. Now, first one succulents and cacti. A lot of people reckon that they are the ultimate hardy plant, that they're the set and forget plant. You buy yourself a nice big succulent or a cacti and you put it in a pot out in the full sun and it's going to look amazing forever. Not true, is it? Not true at all. The point is with, with succulents and cactuses is that they have come from arid conditions, but they've modified so much of, of their whole form to be able to capture water one way or the other. I mean, the fat leaves of the succulents, the spines on the, the cactus, the spines are actually modified leaves, mm. and the stem helps with the photosynthesis, but also 
they they had this and underneath the spines they have this ability to collect morning dew. They basically evolve themselves to be the ultimate water collectors. Absolutely, yeah. And the reality is that those beautiful succulents that you bought in the nursery, and sometimes they'll be in flower too with with some phenomenally pretty flowers on on spiky cacti and you get this incredible colourful flower out the top of them, they will have been grown with incredible tender loving care by growers. They will have done incredible things. They're keeping the moisture up to them and also feeding them. That's the other thing too, that they do like their nutrients. Not a big dose. You're not going to go and give them a handful of poultry manure or something. But well, they don't. They don't like wet feet, uh, feet, and which means they don't want too much water. They don't want too much feed as well because they've got amazing storage capacity within themselves. But that's why when you've got your succulents and your cactus, you have a special mix mm. or special type of soil that helps excess water and excess nutrients drain away. But you still have to maintain. Yes, absolutely. So you know, you wouldn't give them say, for argument's sake, a tablespoon of a, a controlled-release fertiliser, you'd give them half a teaspoon of mm. controlled-release fertiliser. But you've so got to give them something. That's myth-busted number one with cacti and succulents. Yes, they are easy care, but they do love some TLC. Now, here's another one I've seen popping up recently, people saying, oh, you don't have to worry about composting, you just bury your food scraps, you know, just put all your, your vegetable peelings and things, you just dig a little hole and you throw the scraps in. What do you reckon of that one, Jen? I just don't know where this come from. This <laughs> comes from and I also don't know why why would you bother to dig a hole for your compost when you can just throw it on a heap throw it on a compost heap that's exactly right but the, the fact is, I, I was having a look at this from the perspective of, of the way things happen in the soil, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Basically, you're, you're putting stuff down into a zone where the microbial activity that's there and the, the other activity that's there from things like earthworms, the, it's not a situation where things are supposed to be composting. You know, no. that, that all this organic life that's in your soil tends to stratify to exist in the areas where they do the things they used to doing so if you wanted to quickly compost down scraps you'd actually have them right up near up the, the surface you yeah. know because that's where the um i think that's where actually, the oxygen is they're called detritivores did you know that these these and it, creatures that eat detritus you know things yeah. like fallen leaves the detritivores that's where those sort of things hang out mm. and the worms that exist in your soil are very good at working through the soil but they're not the sort of worms that are compost worms no so there's just really no logic in this whole idea of burying scraps straight in the garden. There is one concept you can try, though. There's a there's a thing that's sometimes called a worm tower that the permaculturalists love, and you basically get a really big PVC pipe or a similar pipe, drill some big holes through it, put some things like sawdust and material in the bottom, then you can put some scraps in it to, to get it going, put a bit of compost to inoculate it because the compost has the, the bacteria in there, and then once it starts to look like it's a little bit composty, you can put some compost worms in there and it becomes like an in-ground compost tube. You need to... But why put... would you do that? Well, it's it, the idea is that it's delivering the nutrients straight to the garden rather than composting it and then moving it, you see, because then the logic is that the the earthworm, the, the compost worms inside the cylinder will create the layer of compost and everything and worms will then come in and take that material right. back out into the garden and nutrients will also disperse from there. Um 
I haven't tried one myself, so I don't know how effective they are, but they do seem to be popular. You would need to make sure you are adding compost worms to it because just sticking it in the ground and expecting earthworms to do the work and is not going to And people need to happen. know that compost worms are different from earthworms. They are very different and they don't like living in the soil. So mm. you need to make sure you, you've got the right type of worms, hap- worms happening there. Mm-hmm. Now, the last one I reckon we can look at today is what a load of crock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, that's the old saying is that you used to put a bit of crock or some gravel in mm-hmm. the bottom of your pots when you pot it up. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you reckon of that one? Well, you know what? I wouldn't put them in, in your standard pots mm. because the idea is that you don't lose your potting mix and, you, and for some reason or other you're not going to be losing any of your water. Well, it doesn't happen these days. But there are a case in point for some pots, I think. You know, like if you're living in a balcony – and you've got this tall sort of concrete barrier that um, – did I say living in a balcony? I mean <laughs> living in an apartment. <laughs> Sorry. And you've got this little balcony and you've got a tall concrete barrier. You need really tall planters so that your plants can actually reach the sun. So mm. then in that case, I would fill the base of you. You'd be up. putting some material in the bottom, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah you uh, need about 30 centimetres of soil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, but then I think I think the idea then would be like say, for instance, you, you put a layer of gravel in the bottom, you'd then want to put like a filter fabric over the top and then put your, your potting mix in and mm. then put your plants. So that way – and in fact, it anchors the pot really well too doing yes. that. But I think where this one grew out of is that old school pots, you know, going back 50 or 100 years, a lot of them were hand thrown and the 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 size of the hole was often very variable in the bottom and was often quite large. So mm. they had to put something over it to, as you said, stop all the material from dropping through the bottom. So it's really – I see you'd only need to do it on some modern pots that might have some big holes in the bottom, but even then I'd be looking at using filter fabric or drainage fabric rather than the the gravel-type approach. But it, 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 in fact, doing it with modern pots can create problems because you've got an air zone underneath rather than allowing that capillary action for water to yes. move up and – so I think we can safely say there's a big myth busted on that one too. Yeah, we don't need them unless you've got really, really tall pots. And then, of course, with the tall pots, you can save money on your potting mix. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go away now and think of three more myths to bust sometime soon. Okay, let's do it again. Okay. <laughs> Gardening by the Moon with Milton Black. Hi, Milton. How are you? Very well, Jenny. And uh, what an assorted couple of weeks we've got ahead of us for gardening this time. Today, the moon's in Aries. Now, the thing is, you don't do anything today. You can pot around in the garden if you like. And and also tomorrow, Wednesday as well. So the 23rd, 24th, you've got uh, a little bit of pottering around. It's not a good planting period, but you can over those two days, do a little bit of pruning, a mm-hmm. little bit of pruning, a little bit of fertilising. But the moon goes into the last quarter on Thursday. That's on the 25th. That's in Taurus. Now, Taurus is a very fertile sign, but remember, you don't plant when the quarter of the moon's come up, like the, the new moon, the first quarter, the full moon, and the last quarter of the moon. But what you should be doing, really, over this next two weeks, uh, is going to do your garden maintenance. Now, from the 26th running right through to the, I would say, August actually, is going to be in the first week of August, you should be putting your garden into maintenance stage. Now, you can spread your compost, you can do all your fertilising, but the most important thing really is to do that heavy pruning. 
So if you've got your fruit trees there that you want to prune, uh, you know, anything to do with your plants that you want to cut back, that's an excellent time. So you can do some really, really heavy pruning, really from the 26th running right through until Monday the 5th, because basically the moon's in this last quarter. You can't plant. It's dead. It's not doing any good to the garden, but it's good for maintenance work. So this is where... Anything to do with cleaning up your garden, your fertilizers, your spray, you do your lawns, um, the edging, do all your weeding as well. As we've mentioned to the mealybug, this month of July going into August, that mealybug is a nasty little man. They're sucking insects and they seriously affect all the greenhouse plants, the outdoors. And the best way to sort of get rid of them really is to control them with a good solid uh, spray and and just make sure that you get ahead of those because otherwise they'll kill your plants by the time spring comes. Yeah. And ants also attract to the mealybugs because they put out like a honeydew type of stuff that comes out of their, their body. And of course, consequently, the ants get in there too and they milk this sort of honeydew and the next minute your plants are starting to die virtually from the 26th running right through to at least, I would say, the 1st or 2nd of August to do your uh, spraying. But it's really not a a planting time. And I think what you've got to do is um, remember to sharpen up those sears too so that when you do cut your pruning or do your pruning with your saws and your sears, that they're sharp and the same with your spades. And another thing too, remember, if you've got a lot of uh, mildew and sort of a green algae type of things, the, the best thing to do there is try and overcome it by getting your fork and putting air holes into your garden. And that can actually help aerate. Yeah, especially now, if it's damp as well. That's right, absolutely. But really, it's a, it's a working week and a half. And what you've got to do is just maintain that garden and get everything out of the road. Spread your compost, make new compost too if you want to. Do your heavy pruning, excellent for pruning. And uh, no planting of roses or anything like that at the moment. And even with your bare-rooted trees, no planting with your bare-rooted trees until you get to Friday the 2nd of August. Now, the moon's going into Virgo. You can transplant on those days because the moon moves into the fertile sign of Libra on the 4th and the 5th of August. Now, those two days, excellent for roses too during that particular period if you're still planting roses. Now, look, just a little bit of um, astrological knowledge, I suppose. Uh Do you know which beans? You know, my neighbour, he told me that uh, his beans, you can get a second harvest on them. I said, really, George, how do you get a second harvest off? He said, well, what you do, instead of uprooting the bean plants on the first harvest, he cuts them back to about four inches, waters them very generously, and gives them an extra helping of organic fertiliser. And uh, the exact time that he does it, because he, he follows my moon cycles, uh-huh. and he said the exact time you should do it, as you would know, Mr. Black, he said when this moon is waxing and in a fertile sign. I said, well, that makes sense to me. And he said, put it in there. And he said, if the moon's in Cancer, Scorpio, or Pisces particularly, you will harvest fresh beans within a short period of time. So there we are, gardeners. Don't pull out your beans. Cut them down to about four inches. Good fertilise, good wood. And up they come again. Yeah, love our beans. Just before you go, what do you call it, Jenny, when worms take over the world? Uh, Creepy? No, global warming. (laughs) Fantastic. Catch you next week. Thanks. Bye.
Well, that was a great episode, don't you think, Jenny? Yes, I do. And we'll be back in two weeks with more Garden Chat. But in the meantime, Adam, where can people find you? Oh, the best way is to just search me up on YouTube. Put Adam Woodhams into YouTube and I'll pop up. Not the guy that does the fast fours and rotaries. I'm the guy that does gardening and landscape and all sorts of DIY stuff. Fantastic. And if they want more garden inspiration before the next episode, follow us on Instagram at BHGAUS. If you enjoyed this episode of Garden Better, please take a moment to rate and review the show. It's the best way to help other garden lovers find us. Thanks, Jenny. See you next time. Sure. See you then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.